0: So send your questions to ask Lisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 27. What do I do when my COVID rules differ from friends and family? I have the best Netflix series for you. Oh, what is it? It's in French, it's subtitled, and it's called Call My Agent. Okay. <laughs> and you know why I love it? It's like these women, they're not like highly Botoxed and overly, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, they just seem like these natural beauties who are older and it's so fun to watch and it's been such great escapism and they have four seasons, so I feel like I don't have to wait for the next season. Oh, thank you.
1: Okay, then I want to return the gift. Okay. I have a, se- a show for you, also subtitles, <laughs> so if, <laughs> if we're going to read our TV, let's read our TV. Yeah. It's a Swedish show. Huh. Called the restaurant, Ooh. and it follows a family. It's a it's a fictional show, picks up right at the end of World War II, and then actually continues into the sixties. Wow! And it's a family drama. Um, it's a little soap opera ish in that there's a lot of
0: ups and downs, but we're kind of obsessed. That is a great tip. I'm going to check that one out because I, I, I feel like it's winter. You're you're stuck oh. in right for so many of us. Oh. But you know what the hard thing is? I think people are kind of loosening up a little bit. And you're seeing some people are traveling. But I have to tell you, I don't think people are paying enough attention to this, what they're calling the B117 variant. It's what sort of took over the mutation, COVID mutation, in the United Kingdom that's really crippled them over there. And they're saying it's spreading faster in Israel. They vaccinated 60% of the country. They have at least one shot wow. over the past week. What they're seeing is 44% of the hospitalizations last week in Israel came from kids under 19.
1: Yikes. And you know, Yikes. 16 under,
0: they're not vaccinated, right? Um, yeah. So, so they're really concerned about it. But I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, winter break here in Connecticut, we get a week off, and I always go somewhere warm. Yeah. And lots of people are traveling to Florida where they're discovering the water system, It's the mutation is there in a big way in Florida and California. But as we're watching this pandemic and trying to figure out escapism and vacations, we got this letter that says... As families are talking about winter and spring break, my 12-year-old is being bombarded on texts by friends talking about their families making plans to vacation in Mexico, Disney, and a variety of other places and outings. How do we use this moment in time to talk about these different decisions that families make without shaming other families? And it feels mm. like there are lessons here for the later decisions about parties and other risky behaviors in college. Thanks for helping on communicating with others people in these difficult times.
1: Oh, man, that does get right to it, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting. I mean, we are seeing lots of people are double masking, as is being advised with this new variant. And lots of people are making plans to travel. And sometimes maybe it's, you know, people are in both categories Mm -hmm. of both double masking and making plans to travel. But we are seeing, you know, this really diverse way of living one's life under COVID as we hit a year now, coming up on a year. And there are so
0: many hard feelings about the choices people are making. So how do you approach this? Because it feels like some families are loosening up. It's been a year now. People are like, at what point do we keep doing this? But then you're also seeing, you know, like this this British variant that's really spreading and is highly contagious and could have... Implications for children in a different way. How do you approach it when you're not on the same page? For me, the first place I go in my thinking
1: is how am I going to think about this for myself? Like, how do I come to a place in myself where I'm not feeling hot and judgmental all the time about what's going on around me?
0: Isn't it so hard to put
1: that judgmental piece away? It is. It's really hard. And I am certainly not saying I don't go there because, my goodness, I do. But I try not to. And and then I was, I'm i thinking, like, well, why do I try not to? You know, one is I actually just don't like being too negative in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I there's mm-hmm. a part where I just feel like it's a tax on me if I'm walking around with a lot of negative thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And yeah. so if I cannot do that. The judgmental piece for me, here's how I try to steer clear of it. When I can feel it coming, here's how I try to steer clear of it. You know, defenses are intellectual maneuvers we all make or mental maneuvers Mm. we all make that help us to take some of the charge out of emotions. And some defenses are better than others. The better ones are the ones that stay closely in touch with reality. The less good ones warp reality, like denial, right? So, you know, there are some people who are like, there's no pandemic. Okay, that is not a good use of defense mechanisms yeah. because now you're warping reality. But for me, intellectualization is a very good friend. I think it is for a lot of people. So when I am aware that people are doing things that I don't feel to be safe and that I am not in agreement with, one of the places I try to go and is, is to think, I really don't know their whole story. Like, I really don't know. And, and this is probably one of the greatest gifts of being a clinician, right, is that I get to hear people's very, very intimate inner lives in my practice. And I often know how far what I'm learning as a clinician departs from what the rest of the world sees. Mm. And so sometimes I think, OK, well, maybe there's a lot here I don't know. So for example, I mean, this is actually pretty concrete. I actually know of a family where all five members of the family, the parents and the three kids... Got really quite sick with COVID Mm -hmm. early going and have been reassured by their physician. And maybe this is now out of date with the new variant that the chances of them getting it or spreading it are really, really low. Mm -hmm. And so I think, well, maybe that's going on here. And this family, knowing that information but not making it public, is making the calculus that they are safe, they're not particularly dangerous to other people. And they, for their mental health and their family, could really use a vacation. And, and so I try to think, you know, I only
0: have a very small part of any story. So how do you approach this? Do you find when someone's made up their mind about something, and especially when they're an adult, they don't want you to tell them no. your opinion on a matter, right? We've seen this in politics. We've seen this everywhere. But so how do you approach it? When should you say something? unsolicited
1: opinions tend not to be very welcome. Mm. You know, if somebody
0: says, what do you think?
1: Do you think it's safe for us to do this? That's one conversation. Mm. If somebody's saying, so we're headed to Disney, (laughs) and you're thinking, really? Yeah. Right? They're not asking. And so then the question becomes, what does this mean in the context of your relationship with that person? And... What are the upsides
0: of saying your piece and the price of saying your piece? How do you approach it? Like, what is the best strategy on something like that?
1: Well, so let's think about degrees of relationship first, right? So maybe this is like a relative or a neighbor or somebody who's going to stay in your life and their choices either really matter to you or could have material impact on you. Right. I mean, like, there's this also this issue that their choices are not entirely independent from your health status if you have been or plan to or will be required to continue to interact. Right? I mean, so there's that. So let's take that versus watching someone with whom you have minimal contact or minimal relationship make choices that are different from yours. So presuming, you know, the former, presuming that this is someone in your life and they're making choices that really don't sit well with you my hunch is the the best bet would be to say wow like I see it pretty differently than you do do you want to know what I'm thinking Mm. I would do that and you know if they say no (laughs) Uh, yes (laughs) um well that didn't go well but it could have gone worse right Mm. Mm. right And so let's say they say no. And then you say, okay, well, I'm sure you can tell we don't see eye to eye on this. I'm not sure what to say, right? That's actually something I've gotten better at saying is saying, I'm not sure what to say. And to not feel like things this messy, complex, and tricky have to be slam dunk, wrapped up, figured out, I've said what I've got to say about it. That's the end of it. I
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think, you know, it's funny. You know where you are right now in your relationship with this person, but you don't know what's coming around the corner in six months in your life or their life. So I, I've gotten, I, I used to be someone who really liked things resolved, tidied up, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. done and done. I've gotten a lot better, I guess I would say, as I've gotten older and watched entire narratives unfold and go in directions I would never have anticipated, at thinking, when do I really need to have a very firm opinion on something mm. and make it clear and maybe even damage a relationship because it feels to me that what's at stake is so significant that I have you know, that it's worth it to damage the relationship. And when can I take a half step? Mm-hmm. Make it clear that they, like, I don't see it the way you see it. This is really awkward. I care about you. We're not in alignment. And just describe, you know, it's funny. We were talking a couple of episodes ago about process versus outcome. Mm-hmm. Stay close in a process of saying, gosh, you know, like we're really not in agreement. And this is hard. This is very hard as opposed to decide, trying to get to a place where we
0: have a, you know, a resolution that we can point to when you talk about like what are the the points when you would really stand up for something and, and take a line, I think it's your family's safety and security. That's why I think this is such a hard issue for people. But can you walk us through... There are so many people who have done so well with this pandemic, and meaning like they've d- done with what's been asked of them. Mm-hmm. We're hitting a year now, Lisa. Like we're yeah. losing our mind. We need a little escapism. We need to get out. We want to yeah. go on vacation. What, ha- what, what happens to those people who are now sort of pretending that there's no pandemic or that, oh, there's the light at the end of the tunnel. We're done.
1: Everybody has their own emotional economy. They had their own emotional economy coming into this. They've had their own experiences through this and their stressors and strengths are different from mine pre, during, and also post pandemic. So what I mean by that is I'm pretty introverted and my family's pretty introverted. So that's a, that's an important part of our emotional economy. We can pretty comfortably hunker down. And Though we are stir-crazy as all get-out, it is still tolerable for us. Mm -hmm. And so we're continuing to stay pretty close to home, very close to home, really. Other people's emotional economies were different before the pandemic, maybe hugely extroverted, and where they got their energy, where they got their connection, meaning, joy in life was about being out and about, and it can't really be replaced by anything else. And then they may have had experiences in the pandemic that have really stressed them and required them or made them feel more needy of that kind of um, counterbalancing joy. And so in their economy, they may be at a place where they're like, it is worth it to me to take the risk for the sake of my own mental health. And I... As a psychologist, I can look at that pretty neutrally. Then, here's where it gets tricky, and this is exactly what you're saying, Rena. but we're not disconnected from one another. So that may be your mental economy. I have my mental economy. The virus travels in our communities, and we're both members
0: of the same community. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast.
1: Slash ask Lisa. Earthbreeze eco sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. Earthbreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earthbreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com
0: slash asklisa. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. And they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com/slash ask Lisa. That's greenlight.com slash ask Lisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash ask Lisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. So some people, like you said, you're an introvert, you're okay with being at home. I'm an absolute extrovert. My husband will tell you, Rena mm-hmm. goes to the opening of any envelope. Like, I love mm-hmm. being out and about. But I've also noticed with myself, I have not missed it. Like, I've, I've built in an ecosystem in my neighborhood uh, of, of friends that I consider family, and they've been wonderful. But I'm also like, I don't want to go out. But other people might, who might have even been introverts are feeling like they want to go out and about, what's the psychological gymnastics that happens with phobias and people who might be scared and who might have been self-isolating and now are taking a totally different stance? Well, it's interesting, right? So phobias are interesting because
1: they're extreme and irrational fears. And there are some people, and it's interesting when we think about judgment here, there's judgment on both sides. You know, there are some people who refuse to leave their homes, even though they don't have any Um, you know, particularly underlying condition or high risk. And I think it's very easy to be like, wow, you know, like that person's really phobic and they're taking it too far. And there are some people who have been in denial of the pandemic. So we're talking about the extremes. But there are also people who are using, and I think your word gymnastics, like using a variety of defenses to get themselves to a place where they can do what they want to do. So sometimes... It's rationalization, which is another defense, and it's often quite healthy. It's where we use reasoning to arrive at a place that feels more comfortable. So for some people, they may be like, look, I, have, I now deal with 10% of the humans I used to deal with, which is, often, which is true for a lot of people, that our, our lives are much, much narrower. And they may say, that to me is enough of an accommodation to the pandemic, that I feel like I'm doing my part for myself and my community to narrow my life that much, but I'm going to live in that 10% Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go do things. Now, I don't know if this is something everyone would be in agreement is a good idea, but I can see how a smart person would get there. Other people, this is really interesting. There's this term you don't hear that often, even in psychology, about like counterphobic behavior, where sometimes when somebody's really scared of something, they kind of poke the bear. and And I've thought about this sometimes, especially with the people who are like, "There's no vaccine," or "There's nothing to worry about," or especially when um, there's kind of the macho quality, you know, like real men don't wear masks. I th- I've thought a lot about a little boy I took care of when I was in my pre-doctoral training. So this was back at the University of Michigan in the 90s. And I took care of this little boy who was profoundly terrified of tornadoes. And there's not a lot of tornadoes in Michigan. It's not a huge (laughs) risk. But this kid was so anxious about it that um, he would track, he would follow them using the weather Channel like the weather channel was, was and and would be, you know, in the basement um if there was a tornado anywhere in the midwest, even if it was hundreds of miles from his home. And this is actually why he came to therapy. And so we were, you know, trying to address his tornado phobia. Would you believe this? His favorite movie, and this really does date it, was the movie Twister. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about people who chase tornadoes. <laughs> And I remember saying to my supervisor, I'm like, I don't get it. This kid spends all day anxious on the ceiling about tornadoes. And then he is totally interested in this movie Twister. And and my my supervisor said, you know, in training me, she was like, oh, yeah, we call that counterphobic behavior that he like – he wants to feel in control of it, so he he messes with it. Like, he he watches the movie, but in the movie he can stop it, he can start it, he can stop it, he can start it. Mm. That it gives him this way to engage with this fantasy of control. And so sometimes when I've seen people who I, I think are taking tremendous risks, part of me has thought, are you really scared mm. and is part of how you're managing this that you're like, I'm going to go to the grocery store with no mask and watch this. I'm going to come back healthy. And that makes me feel like everything's okay. And it may be really quite divorced from reality. But I've seen enough to think, oh, no, people can get there in their minds, even if it doesn't map onto what's true or scientifically accurate. That doesn't mean the
0: mind can't make it happen
1: anyway. Wow,
0: that story is so incredible. You talk about control. You know, we can't control the actions of other adults, right? that's that's not right. what we're here for anyway. So what do you say? How do you approach this topic with your kids when you're in disagreement with another family? Right. That's the really tricky question because,
1: you know, as we got in this letter, it's the kid who's seeing it. It's the kid who's bringing to the mom, yeah, look at the texts I'm getting. So it's not like we alone are the ones, you know, having thoughts about what everybody else is doing. Our kids are observing it. And interestingly, our kids are the ones who are probably going to stay more in contact over time with families that we're in disagreement with. And, and, and this is something I've thought about a lot. I thought about it a lot under our political polarizing situation where, you know, families who we don't agree with politically, we tend not to hang out with socially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas our kids, they're going to school with one another. So one of the things that always strikes me is even pre-pandemic, but now especially pandemic times, we may have very strong opinions about what other families are doing and have a lot of, you know, kind of choice words about it. We may feel very free to um, air those views in our home because we never have to see those people or confront them We have to be mindful that our kids, their their listening ears, their little ears, Mm -hmm. are picking up all that and may very well, if almost certainly, run into that kid at school. And what do we want them to do in that moment? Or what do we want our input on that moment to be? Mm -hmm. I mean, Rena, what do you think?
0: I what I always come back to is what you said today, which is and you said this at the very beginning when we started this podcast, is you just can't pass judgment on other families. Everybody is their own little ecosystem. And we don't know what's going on in each household. And we don't know what people's mental capacity and what their needs are and their emotional needs. So as we are seeing so many people traveling, could it shut down our schools potentially at some point? But I, I mean, everybody wants a vacation. And so I, know, I totally I know, understand but, and get that. But Rena, I have to tell you, I worry about that too. My kids are now
1: back in school mm-hmm. full time for the first time both of them and their moods are so much better exactly and so i worry too i'm like oh my goodness like kids are finally getting back into school it feels so critical to adolescent mental health and kid mental health i don't want this variant to be the thing that shuts it all down again mm-hmm. So I got strong feelings about it, too. So, okay, so I have to think about this as a mom. You have to think about this as a mom. My kids are observing families making different choices than we are making. So here's here's what I'm trying to do at home. What I'm trying to do is to say, look, we're making different choices because we have to focus on what works best for us. And we are in a position to really prioritize a very strict view of physical health. Um, though Actually, though, other people would question that I even send my kids to school. So obviously <laughs> we're not on the strictest of all of this. And so we might say, I might say, our decision is that traveling is not something that feels like a necessary risk for us. I don't know how that family is calculating risk. They have different variables, different contexts that are helping them come to that decision. So I'm not going to say that what they're doing is right or wrong, but it's not what we're doing, and you guys know that. Mm. I think that may be a way to try to thread an extraordinarily difficult needle.
0: Mm. There's so much here to unpack, and and I could talk to you about it forever, but I just think as we're entering sort of the travel season, and uh, it's still the dead of winter, and, and people need a break. I think you've given us some good tips to think about from a psychological standpoint.
1: It's a tough one, Rena. It it's is. a really tough one. It is. It is. So we don't have a book giveaway this week. We're going to take a break from that for a moment.
0: But you've got uh, four children everywhere for us. I have been loving our book giveaways, but you also talk about the importance of charity and being generous. And here's a charity that I love. If your kids can't get away and you can't get away, or even if you can, it's called A Million Thanks, and it is to support servicemen and women overseas. And all it costs is a postage stamp. They want handwritten notes and artwork that you send to them, and all you have to do is essentially send a dollar postage stamp. It helps them kind of weed through things, and it's an organization that's really focused on helping these service members. Also, vets receive free mail and really feel loved. So it's called A Million Thanks. It'll be in our show description notes if you want more, but it's um, you're not necessarily interacting like pen pals, but it's a way to do something nice to make someone feel loved. I like that, I like that a lot. And what would you say, Lisa, as you're parenting to go?
1: I think in parenting, we can and should work against kids' inclination to try to have one feeling about something, to feel all good about it or all bad about it, to love somebody or to hate them. It can be um, very powerful for kids to get pulled in that direction. And today's topic especially brings to light the importance of being able to sit with ambivalence, having competing feelings about a person or a situation at the same time. And that's a lot of life, sitting with ambivalence, to say, you know, I really like that family, but I disagree with this choice. Or I know you really like that kid, but sometimes they're not that fun to play with. And the more we can just leave it there and not feel like we have to say, so you should feel this way, or so this is the one right way to be, I think actually, the more emotionally sturdy we make our kids, because being able to sit with ambivalence about things is a skill that makes it much easier for them to navigate unbelievably complex situations
0: like this one. Mm. It's a good one. Well, I'm going to check out your Netflix series. Same.
1: Mine's on no, mine's on Sundance. I'll check out your Netflix series. Sounds great.
0: Take care. Bye, Lisa. And I'll see you next week. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.